Um, yeah. I am asking for divine Father, I, Abba, some of the things that your word talks about and that these next few verses talk about are mountains to climb. They're vast oceans of reality, and they're hard. And they're paradigm shifting and, and they're mind bending. And I love these young people in this room too much to try and do this on my own. I'm asking you, Lord, for help. I need you. I need you to speak. I need you to say things in this room. that cannot be formed by human speech. I need you to do, to express truth in this place that no, um, no, amount, no, no, no amount of written word could explain. Lord, we're talking about you. And everything that's true about you is eternally true. Everything that's true about you is infinite, and everything that's true about you is far beyond anything that any tiny human mind can comprehend. And yet, it is your desire that we know you. And it's your desire that we run after the knowledge of you. It's your desire that we hunger for the knowledge of you. And you have placed a, an insatiable desire for the revelation of your glory on the inside of us. The only thing that satisfies the human heart, really, truly, is to see your glory. So, Father, I'm asking you right now to do the impossible, do what no preacher, no teacher, no writer could ever do, and unleash divine revelation in this room so that we can see who you are. We can know who you are. And that our hearts, our lives, our behavior, our thought patterns, everything about who we are would be shifted by the revelation of your glory to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. So, predestination. Been sitting in it for a couple weeks now. This, some of you might still be a little mad at me. That's okay. You are. It's I. You're not really mad at me. You're mad at God's word, and that's that's okay. I I am okay with you being mad at God's word. 
I think God's word should make us mad. We had this discussion last time that, that God is offensive sometimes. That's just who he is. He does not apologize for who he is or what he does. The Bible says very clearly that nobody gets to say to God, what have you done? Nobody gets to say that to him. And if he operates in a way that we don't appreciate, we're wrong and he's right, and we're going to have to come to terms with that at some point along the way. Now, I will also admit that I may have done an absolutely ridiculously poor job of explaining this understanding in a way that would make it, uh, that would stir our hearts to praise. But, sorry if that's true. I don't know if it is or not. Sorry if it's true. I went back and listened to myself to, to uh, some of the podcasts and, and just how badly did I do? I don't feel like I did terrible. Right? There was There's so many more things. And I actually wrote out a few things that I, that I want to say to you that I feel like were left out of the discussion last time. Um, but before we do that, I would like to hear back from you. So, as you know, does anybody have anything to say about this whole thing that we talked about last time? Sure, or whatever. Well, since it's been two weeks, I would have hoped that you had time to think about it already. But, oh, it's, you know, <laughs> we've got an hour, so, you know, think about it a little bit. Yeah, Mari. Well, I mean, I kind of, it, it really, it, it made me really be mad, but it confused me a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot confused me. I kind of sat on it for a while, especially thinking about this. And, I mean, every time I think about it, yes, it, it, it hurts me, right? Like, so I get a little, like, my heart yearns for the but at the same time, I understand that he does, he, he predestines people, or not predestines. I don't exactly know how to explain <laughs> that. He, he chooses people for yeah. hell because he loves you. Because he wants to show you, to ju- like he wants to show you his judgment and how it works. Sure, sure. And so I can't be mad that someone else wasn't chosen and I was. Right. I have to come to terms with that. Like I can't be upset about that. I need to be happy that I was chosen yeah. instead. And so, you know, I mean, Uh, One of the things that I wanted to say was this isn't God uh, creating a a a uh, a person specifically and 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 then saying to that person, um, you know, you you are going to hell. This isn't. That's not. That's not what. That's not how this whole thing works. See, God created human beings, and then human beings rebelled. All human beings have rebelled. What's Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the truth. So every human being that is alive really deserves hell. Like, really deserves hell. Every single human being that exists deeply deserves hell. And deserves the anger and the wrath of God to be poured out upon them. And the fact that he shows mercy to anyone at all is an astounding reality. 
So we kind of think about, well, God's just throwing people to hell. No, the reality is people throw themselves there. Full with all of their might, they send themselves to hell. That's, that is the truth. And then there are some that he shows mercy towards. And yes, he knows who they are ahead of time. Yes, he chooses them. He, had cho- he, by, he chooses to adopt them as sons or daughters. That's real. But at the same time, there's this statement that, that I wrote down that I wanted to say with you guys. No one that desires to be saved will be, will be sent to hell. You need to understand that. No one that desires to be saved and spend eternity in heaven is going to be going to hell. Now, there is a difference, however, between a desire not to go to hell and a desire to be saved. There is a difference, and we need to make that demarcation line. Because I don't think there's anybody who who desires to go to hell. Maybe there's one or two people that are just crazy out of their minds, and they're like, I want to go to hell and burn forever. Woo! No, I, I don't. I, that, there might be. I don't know. The, the world is full of crazy people. You know? Like, well, I've met people that are like, screw God, or, you know, that have no, I mean, like, even more language like, than that. Like, yeah, hell burn forever. I mean, they're probably like, they're saying it out of insecurity. Well, I think I they, like they say it out of rebellion. <laughs> Yeah. It's a gigantic middle finger towards God. Like, you don't get to tell me what to do. Yeah, kind of like that. Right. Yeah. But I talk to people who don't know about God and whether he can save them. Do they just go to hell because they didn't know like, all of that? That is a really great question. And you need to read Romans chapter 1. Because the Bible says that everyone who is alive knows God exists and knows what God is like, like on the DNA level. They know. And it says, because of that, they're without excuse. Because they are human beings. God has revealed himself to every living human soul. It doesn't mean he's revealed the gospel to every living human soul, but he's revealed himself to every living human soul, and they still choose to walk away from him. Don't argue with me about it. Go read Romans chapter 1. It's the end of the chapter. And it talks all about this. They have no excuse because they know. It's built into our DNA as creations that we know that God exists and we know his invisible attributes. Okay, We know know what he's like. Why Why does the law system in... Every single culture across the planet, basically the same. Why is stealing wrong in every culture? Why is hurting or killing another person wrong in every culture? Why is uh, marital infidelity wrong in every culture? They know. It's it's built into the human DNA that these things are incorrect. Now, there's lots of ways of getting around and there's lots of ways of explaining this to ourselves. Oh, well, it's okay for me because. But we start at this place where we know what's right and wrong. We get it. And we choose wrong. We just do. Yeah, 
We explain it away to ourselves. Yeah. We rationalize. It's okay for me because I've heard married men. Okay, this is kind of a gross example, but I've heard married men who rationalize looking at pornography during like a time when their wife would not be available for sexual relations. Well, I can't have sex with her, so it's okay for me. That's bullcrap. That's absolute, total, complete, and utter bullcrap. There is no... Excuse me. God calls some people to be celibate and never have sex their entire lives. So you're saying you have to wait, whatever, a day or a week or six weeks? Like, after a baby's born, you're supposed to wait six weeks, okay? And that means it's okay for you to go and look at porn during that time because you... No, I don't think so, buddy. But people say that kind of thing. And they use these arguments, they use this wonderful brain that God gave us to comprehend his majesty. God gave us our brains to think about him. And we turn them to figure out ways of getting around God's law. And it's all, it's all ridiculous. It's all foolishness. And everybody knows it. Everybody has made, everybody has willfully sinned. Everyone breathing air or that has ever breathed air, has sinned, period. All in that verse means all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. Therefore, every human that has ever existed deserved hell. And the fact that some of us will not be going is an unbelievable act of grace. Yeah. So the ones that are children that are before the age of like knowing the difference between mm -hmm. right and wrong they just mm -hmm. fall under the grace yes. of God. That's my understanding of it yes. Yeah. And I have done, I've studied it out I believe that to be the case. Yeah. There's nothing in the Bible that says that explicitly but I do believe that. Okay, another thing that you need to know is that it is God's will that all should be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. That is the truth. I think part of what happens when we begin to understand that God's choice is involved in our salvation and in, other, and in the lack of salvation for some, okay, that we begin to think that, well, maybe, well, oh, so God plays favorites. God has these that he likes and these that he doesn't. And that's not the case. That's just not the teaching of Scripture right here. I mean, Second Peter 3, 9 cannot be argued with. He is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want death or hell for any human being that has ever existed. That is not his desire. And yet. There will be more human beings to go to hell than go to heaven. I mean, think about it for five minutes. Even if the church had done its best, like an unbelievable job, and the gospel was being preached all over the planet, it would still be true 
because people reject the truth of the gospel. I can I think about the percentages of people in the United States that have heard the gospel over and over and over again and have never responded in faith and never become followers of Jesus Christ. Okay? They're everywhere. They're all over the place. You can't say that they haven't been evangelized because they have. Think about the people that walked through this building the, you know, last weekend. Almost all of them went through the gospel rooms. And how many people went in there, heard a message that they had heard many times, and still they were unmoved? People reject the gospel of Jesus Christ all the time, every day. I remember the first time I came face to face with this. Because I had invited a really good friend who really needed Jesus to church. Okay? And he knew I was a Christian, and I was walking out a Christian life in front of him, and I had always and I was praying for this guy and I loved him. And he sat through a powerful gospel message. I was ready to get resaved. <laughs> I mean, really, at the end of the message, I was just like, and I turned, totally, it was heavy. And I turned to him and I said, I'll go up with you if you want to go. And he said, no. And just, no. Hmm? Now I also know people that have spent their whole lives saying no to the gospel. And then someday, out of the clear blue sky... For whatever reason, we will never know. They have an encounter with God, and their life is completely turned around, and they say yes. And nobody can explain why, except that God is the one who saves people, period. It is a miracle every time it happens. It's not something we do for ourselves. We only cooperate with it. That's all we can ever do. We can't save ourselves, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. When someone gets saved, it is a divine, sovereign act of God every time. Every time. You are sitting in this room today because of a divine, sovereign act of God in your life, where God came and he saved Think back to the moment, the moment you remember. Some of you don't remember the first time that you prayed the prayer. But think back to the moment you remember when the Holy Spirit did something on the inside of you and all of a sudden repentance was what you had to do. Do you remember that moment? Remember that moment when the gospel just dropped in and all of a sudden the world was different and you didn't? It was like, I can't, this is what I have to do. And you might have even looked at the cost, like, according, you know, according to the world, of all the things that now you would have to say no to, quote unquote. <laughs> right? And you think, oh, I don't even know if I want to do that, but I, I, I need to say yes to this. I know I do. And you did. 
Statistically, it takes people seven times hearing the gospel before they respond. But what if it takes you 700 times? It is the stubborn ones. But aren't we all a little stubborn? I'm pretty stubborn. I'm a little bit stubborn. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm pretty stubborn. I'm stubborn and clumsy. I honestly believe stubbornness is a gift from God. I really, I mean that. I'm not kidding around. I go look up the definition of stubborn and I think stubbornness is a gift from God because once I'm convinced, there's no unconvincing me. <laughs> yeah. I always look at it sometimes like stubbornness is a gift of because it keeps you from doing things that are wrong. Because even though they're going to try to tell you, you should do this, you should do this. And so <laughs> My daughter is one of the most stubborn people on the planet. That's just the truth. She is. And if she doesn't want to do something, she isn't going to. You can threaten, you can beat. You can take everything away from her. You can not feed her for days. She doesn't care when she makes a decision. Thus saith Lily, it's over. Okay? And I and as a parent, that is not easy to deal with. Because she all she it cannot be reasoned with most of the time. Don't you see how this makes sense? No. And it is She's four, okay? But she's already there. And and my prayer, when she was much younger than this, two years old-ish, she was already that way. She was that way from the womb. And and I'm like, not coming out. Well, that's why we cut her mom open and pulled her out. Um, um, she was, that's just who she is. She's always been that way. And, 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 I was praying about it. I'm going, oh, God, what am I going to do? And the Lord said to me this. He said, there will be a lot of bumps in the road. This is not going to be an easy journey for either of you. But I promise you, Josh, that one day all of that fire will belong to me. And all of a sudden, I realized the power of a stubborn Christian. She's going to be unstoppable. She, there's, nobody's going to be able to tell her that her God is anything other than she knows he is. And there's, you, you, excuse me. <laughs> Mr. Doctor, you might tell me about cancer. I'm telling you about Jesus. <laughs> and I can't wait to see God unfold that in her heart. But he's going to have to do it because daddy can't. And neither can anybody else that comes along. It's going to be her and God. And there will be a day when she puts it all down on the line and says, all of me belongs to you, and that's it. And I've seen it happen before because my sister Piper is, that is who she is. And I remember the days when she was walking the line, when she wasn't, when she wasn't convinced that a life belonging to God is what she wanted to be. And then I remember the day when the iron curtain dropped, boom, and she said, now and forever I belong to the Lord. End of discussion. 
And now she is unstoppable. She is an unstoppable force. That's just who she is. And I love that about her. I also hate that about her, but I love that about her. Unstoppable forces are not easy to deal with. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. I love her with all my heart. She's four years younger than me. I remember one particular Wednesday night, I had my driver's license, and so it was, and my parents would come to church and go home, and it was my job to get Piper home from youth group. And the week before that, I had stayed until she was ready to leave, and then I got in trouble because I didn't have his home on time. I missed curfew. She didn't even get in trouble. I said, she is the, I was ready to go an hour before she was, and she would not leave. They said, well, I'm sorry. It's your responsibility. That's what my parents told me. So the next week, I told her, we're leaving in five minutes whether you want to or not. And she said, yeah, whatever, and went on talking with her friend. So five minutes later, I walked over there. I picked her up, threw her over my shoulder, and carried her out. Of the <laughs> she was smaller than me, so I could do that. I just picked her up, and, and the whole way out, she's going, oh, my God, I can't believe you're doing this. What are you doing? And I put her in the car and said, I'm not going to get grounded again because you won't do what you're supposed to do. And I buckled her in myself because she was just like, I'm not going to buckle. You forget it. <laughs> and I, and I drove home. Me. I would have left her. I, I tried, dude. I was not. That was not. Uh, that was not gonna. That was not possible. If I had left her there, my parents would have been like, "Turn around, go back to church, and get her." And then yell at you. Exactly. They put it in my hands, and this is how I was gonna handle it. And that's what we did. Well, I'm pretty stubborn too. The problem. Yes. I think you get it from your mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, I'm like, just, just like, because, you know, Brandon's more of a, I don't know, the kind of personality situation like that. Like, I didn't have a choice. You're not coming, I'm going. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas you're just like. If I had thought that that would have worked, I probably would have done it. I probably would have just been like, I'm leaving now, bye, and left. But no, that wouldn't, that was not going to work, and I knew it. <laughs> so, I hope that some of those things uh, add a little bit to your thought process on the whole predestination. Okay. It's not like there's people that are going to be banging on the doors of heaven saying, I really wanted to come to get saved and I did it. There's nobody saying to begging Jesus to save them from their sins that is not being saved. That's just not happening. That's not happening. The Bible says, without doubt, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The way Calvinists talk about this is they say, you can't call on the name of the Lord without God's sovereign choice of you. That's just evidence of God's sovereign choice of you to be saved, is that you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. I don't... I know the Bible is really clear that it takes, it takes the grace of God to actually be able to respond to the gospel. That's the truth. 
I'm more of the mind that God gives everybody at least one chance. And if they say no, then they say no. That sounds more like him to me. But I don't know if I can bear that out in Scripture. And that's my problem. No, I mean, I mean, they have however many choices they have. However many chances they have. When I say at least one, I mean that I don't think anybody... I, I find it really hard to believe that there's anybody on this planet who doesn't get at least one opportunity to say yes to God. And I'm not saying that they, if they don't say yes now, this is early, and then the door slams shut. What I'm saying is that God extends grace, I think, to everyone. And I think but there are just people that he knows that are never going to say yes. And he will not manipulate them into doing so. You need to understand that there is a big difference between saying yes to God in a substantive way through faith that causes obedience and, I'll, well, I'll say the prayer. Because those words of that prayer do not save you. Those words of that prayer are actions that are supposed to accompany faith. The action cannot save you. But if the faith is there first and it's followed with an action, salvation takes place in that moment. If there's no faith, there's no salvation, and that's the truth. No matter how many times you take communion, no matter how many times you pray the prayer, no matter how many times you're baptized, if there's no faith, there's no salvation, and that's reality. Faith is the only way that we get saved. All right. So verse 5, we said, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons. We talked about what adoption means. Okay. Now, it says, Through Jesus Christ to himself. You need to understand, everything about your relationship with God happens because of Jesus. Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. You would not have a relationship with God at all if the cross had never taken place. All of it is through Jesus. But then there's this beautiful thing, to himself. Do you know that God saved you for him? He saved you because he wanted you. He saved you for himself. It's my consecration thing. Yeah, it's like that's what I was thinking. He written his name on you. Jesus is how we were adopted. Jesus is how we were chosen. Jesus is how we were blessed. And every one of these verses says over and over again, in Christ, through Christ. It's all over the place in this first chapter of Ephesians. It's all, the, our context is Jesus. If we are outside of the context that is Christ, we are nowhere in relationship to the Heavenly Father. Jesus said it very explicitly, that no one comes to the Father but through me, period. There are not many roads to heaven. There are not many different ideas, but one, de one destination, Jesus said, one road, and it's narrow, and few find it, and it's me.
This is also another illustration that those who are being saved are, are Jesus giving us as a gift to the Father. We are a love gift from the, from the Son to the Father. Another in a gigantically long, infinitely, infinitely past series of love gifts, including the very universe itself, which was a love gift from Jesus to his Father and from the Father to Jesus. Okay. According to the kind intention of his will, that's what my uh, New American Standard says. What is, does anybody else, what do you, does anybody have anything different there? This is verse 5. Is that right? Or is it verse, yeah, verse 5. The Greek is kind of muddled, and and they think that it's a Greek version of a of a Hebrew idiom. Okay, so it's like you know we have all these uh, we have these uh, what would you call them? Um, I can't think of the. No, we have. Do you know what an idiom is? An it an, an idiom, and I mean pun kind of. The idea is, it's a, it's, it's, yeah, but it's not a play on words. It's a phrase that means something completely different than the actual words that make it up. Okay? So if I say to you, the only one I can think of right now is saying that somebody's straight out of central casting. Have you ever heard that phrase? Okay, have you, have you, have you ever heard that phrase? No. Uh, I can't think of another one. Okay, like when somebody says, okay, t- take that idea and put it on the back burner. Yeah. <laughs> or somebody put a few squeezes. Yes. All of those, those, those are all like, those are all little mini metaphors, but they have no explanation in and of themselves. Like if you said that to someone in another language, put that on the back burner. They'd be like, excuse me? <laughs> what? And we can kind of understand it because, you know, it means that the front burner is the thing we're actually working on right now and the back burner are the things that are just need to simmer for a while, right? We get that. We understand that word picture. Well, in Hebrew, there's lots of those. In fact, most of the language is like that. And Paul, in a lot of his writings, will take Hebrew phrases like that and turn them into Greek and then and totally confuse everyone. <laughs> well, yeah, and the, the original readers totally got it. But... We are left going, what the heck does he mean? I think that's what he wanted. He's up there laughing. No. <laughs> so this, when he says, according to the kind intention of his will, what him, that's the kind intention of his will is probably the best way to translate it, honestly. It means that it's something he chose to do, that he takes pleasure in, and it's good for us. Does that make sense? He's excited about this choice. He's making it intentionally, and it's good for us. All at the same time. Yeah. He's doing it with a smile on his face because he enjoys doing it and he knows we will enjoy it being done for us. It's a win-win. Okay? Sal, your salvation was a win-win in God's own heart. Do you understand that? God is more excited about your salvation than you are.
He is more excited about forgiving you than you are about being forgiven. That's, that's, that's real. The Bible says that he delights in showing mercy. I think, we, I think we do not understand him that way at all. I think usually we're like, here I am again. I did it again. And we're expecting God to be like, fine, I suppose I'll forgive you. I should kill you right now, but I, I guess... Because Jesus died, I have to forgive you, right? <laughs> Isn't that how we feel when we come to God and we repent? I mean, don't we feel that way all the time? Don't we feel like God's just ready to smite us? It's that whole, you know, smite me, it's the whole smite, smite me, almighty oh smiter <laughs> thing. You know, smite me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes I'm that way and sometimes I'm that way. <laughs> I think that is part of it. I do. And I think most Christians just have a general feeling, a general sense that God's just really annoyed with them. But that is not the teaching of Scripture at all. That's, it's just not. The clear teaching of Scripture is that God adores you and takes great pleasure in you and that he loves to forgive you when you mess up. But we don't feel that, do we, most of the time? Most of the time we feel like God's annoying little step-headed, you know, red-headed stepchildren that are just like, forgive me, please. And he's like, oh, fine, just get out of my, just as long as I don't have to deal with you anymore. You know, I, I really, I am speaking out of my own personal life. I have to war in my own spirit to honestly feel and believe that God takes delight in me. I have to take, when, when I feel like I am, you know, the scum of the earth, okay? When I, I, when I feel like, why on earth would God care about me in any way, shape, or form? And that's a lot of the time. I have to take scriptures like this and I have to do battle in my own soul and say, that's not what the Bible says. And I have to fight because the truth is, it is, it is very hard to obey a God that doesn't enjoy you. It just is. It's really difficult. To give your life to a God that doesn't enjoy you. When we live in that place where we know we're enjoyed by God, it's like, I'll do anything for you. Anything. I'm in. What do you want me to do, God? I, I'm there. Because I know I'm enjoyed. I know I'm loved. I know that I'm cared about. But when I'm living in a place where I feel like I'm outside of his pleasure, I, it is hard to obey. It is hard to make choices that don't, uh, that don't feel good right now. And a lot of the things that God wants us to do are we're opting for pleasure later and not right now. Okay, like, like tithing, okay? 
There are some days when tithing is a joy, and I hit that button on the computer like, I love this. Yeah, I'm giving to Jesus. And then there are other days where I'm like, do you know what I could do with that money? I mean, really. I have this bill. I have that thing. I want to go buy an Xbox One. Right? I could pay two phone bills with that, right? I mean, okay. And I'm just giving it to the church. Sometimes that's not easy. But when I'm standing in a place where I feel enjoyed by God, where I am, where I'm really in alignment with the truth, that God's smile is over me, that he has set his love on me, and that he enjoys me. When I'm living in that place, obeying him is, is fun. It's easy. It's a joy. But outside of that, when I don't understand that his saving of me is the good pleasure of his will, It's hard to do. It's hard to do. How are we doing, everybody? So we're about to jump off the cliff. I want to <laughs> make sure everybody's okay. Make sure everybody's okay. Yeah, the next verse is pretty heavy. Like, no, I'm enjoying this. Please don't go there. We have a half hour of class left. I have to go there. This is stuff that you, you know. You know, I'm like one of those teachers that if you can get me off on a tangent, I won't ever get to the assignment. So, you know. <laughs> What's up, Jer? In love. I got better. I got better. <laughs> oh, he must be a king. <laughs> All right. Anyway. <laughs> I'm not going on that tangent. <laughs> it's got to be a theological tangent. <laughs> I only go on those tangents when I kind of feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit to go there, and I usually don't know how I'm going to make it theological, what? and all of a sudden we land in the theological right. poop. Right. <laughs> we just land. It's not working. The Holy Spirit's nudge is, doesn't feel like that. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. All right. That's what I'm saying. I've had those moments. Yeah, your daddy's has her on. Oh, yeah. That was more than a nudge. That was a shove. That was a drop kick. Wow. <laughs> and he also got held down in his chair one time when he was when he wanted to stand up and he couldn't move. Neither of those things have ever happened to me. I have been pinned to the floor by the Holy Ghost, like where I can't move at all like you know in prayer and i fall out or something and I, 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 saw, I saw i saw something on uh, i saw something on facebook 
that said that this Sunday is Benny Hinn Sunday because we all have to fall because we all have to fall back. Oh my god! I laughed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, did you ever watch the, the Street Fighter like remake oh, yes. videos? Hadouken! Hadouken! Yes. Or when he goes, oh my gosh. <laughs> and like the whole balcony goes, <laughs> <laughs> Benny Hinn, you know who Benny Hinn is? He's an evangelist and he prays people and they fall over and. Or he gets people in like, suit jackets. Like, my. my, my <laughs> My first date with my wife was at a Benny Hinn conference. <laughs> it's a long story. It's a long story. What? Oh, I love them. And uh, my 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 so I was our first date, and we're standing in this huge auditorium, and the power of God was in the place. There was no question about that. We're standing there. And he says, everyone stand and hold hands. And so we're like, you know, and so we're all standing and, you know, and then all of a sudden he goes, fire, like that. <laughs> Felt like everybody in the entire place fell out except for me and Rachel. <laughs> and we like looked around and all around us, people were just laid out in their chairs and we're standing there just like, uh, okay. <laughs> Um, no. No. Our, my first time holding hands with her was just a few hours before that, on the way. Because Master's Commission was over at 12.01. Like, you know, lunchtime 12.01. And and uh, right at 12.01, I reached over and grabbed her hand. Can't get away from me now. <laughs> so, I got you. I still remember the song that was playing. It was a worship song. It was a great song. It's, it's called uh, Creation Calls. It's an old vineyard song. It's a great song. No, I'm not playing it for you. Right. So, verse 6. Here we go. Okay, so, verse 5 says, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So are you following this? Okay. He made a, a choice beforehand to, to adopt us as sons through what Jesus was going to do on the cross. And he was going to make us his sons. Remember, Ladies, you're still the sons of God, and I'm still the bride of Christ. Okay? But that <laughs> he made you his sons, okay, by the kind intention of his will. And then it says, why? Now, earlier it says, in love. So that we know that part. But there's another piece, a piece that most of us don't understand and most of us don't think about. Because we exist and we were saved to the praise of the glory of of his grace. Now, what does that mean? Anybody? We were saved to the praise of the glory of his grace. Okay, think about it for a minute. It's very simple. 
We were saved so that the grace of God would be praised. Okay? We will forever, for all eternity, be trophies of this reality in God called grace that angels can't experience. Okay? The Bible says angels long to look into the things of the gospel. They have no comprehension of them. They're seeing God do something they have never seen God do, ever. It's called grace. It's called redemption. We didn't even know. They're like, we didn't even know this existed in your heart, God. And he's like, yes, and that's why I'm doing it right now, to show you that grace exists on the inside of me, to display my grace in front of you so that you can worship me, glorify my, I am glorifying my grace so that you can worship me as a God who is gracious. You need help? You're good? Okay. Now, what does that say about our God? This whole salvation thing. Think about this for a minute. This whole salvation thing, this whole drama that we call salvation. Okay. That is all about displaying the reality in him that is called grace. And here's the concept. Okay. God cares more about his own glory than he does about anything else, including us. Okay. That is, I understand, a confrontational statement, but it's real. And not only is it real, but it's the best news you're going to hear today. You might think, why on earth is this good news? I thought God loved me more than anything else. No, God loves himself more than he loves you. And it's absolutely right and beautiful and glorious and so full of joy. I'm so full of joy because he loves himself more than he loves me. That is, that is so great. And I am so glad. And I'm so grateful to God that he upholds his own worth higher than mine. Here's why. If God were to love me more than he loves himself, he would be an idolater. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, right? That's, the, that's number one, numero uno, the most important thing in all of Scripture. The one thing Jesus says, this is it. This is the most important thing that anybody could ever say ever in the history of the world that anybody has ever said. Love the Lord your God with everything you are. 
That is the most important thing you can do, period, end of sentence. And the next one is like it. It's just slightly less important, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. But what's that first one? Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Why? Why is that his highest commandment? Why is that so important to him? it has to be it has to be thou shalt have no other gods before me now you look at that on the face of it and that sounds like an arrogant jerk of a god doesn't it think about it for just a second brandon you can have no other pastors but me doesn't that sound terrible He's already looking at me going, whatever. <laughs> I'm out. By the way, if anybody ever says that to you, I'm your primary spiritual authority. You shouldn't listen to anybody else. You need to run, run, <laughs> run. Because you are setting yourself up for spiritual manipulation and control. Run! <laughs> cult status. Okay? Cult status. Okay? But God says this to us, no other gods but me, Mare, not one. And we're like, yay. Why? Wait, tell me again. Why? Ooh, say it again. Why? Why? Think about that for just a minute. One of my favorite guys is C.S. Lewis. And we're, I'm, I'll be quoting him a lot this year. Trust me. I'll be quoting him all over the place because he's awesome. And he's been used by God to teach me a lot of great stuff. And this is honestly one of the reasons why he was an atheist for so long. He was an atheist most of his life. And God just stepped in to the middle of his world and flipped him around. In fact, he said he went to the zoo an atheist and he came back from the zoo not an atheist. And he has no idea when it happened. Yeah, he was just going on a trip. He was just going on a trip and he just... And he just drew, they were driving to the zoo, and by the time and and he doesn't he can't even tell you when it happened. He can't tell you like what what moment it was, or that he saw some animal that he was like, "That's so glorious! There must be a god." No, it wasn't like that. It was just he was on a long drive, and when he got home, all of a sudden he believed in God, and he can't even tell you what he can't tell you what the what. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Right. We never even saw it coming, right? We never saw it coming. That's how it happened with my, that's actually how it happened with my love for my wife. I honestly, I had no, I, I, we were, we were friends. We were, we got to know each other. We would hang out a little bit and then just out of no. And, 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 and then she asked me to talk to my friend and see if he would, see if he was interested in dating her. And I was furious. And I was, I was really upset. Why was I so furious? I had no idea why I was mad. And then I said, God, why am I so mad? And he said, because you're in love with her, stupid. And I was like, oh my gosh, I really am. Oh, I didn't even know it. Okay, it just kind of happened. And that's how it was with C.S. Lewis also. But one of the things that, one of his like big things that he hated about God prior to his conversion was that God was so arrogant. 
All through the Psalms, he's constantly saying, praise me, sing me songs, serve me. I'm the only God that matters. That's arrogant. Think about it for a minute. That is any human being that said that to us, we'd be like, excuse me. Uh, what? Girls, would you ever fall for the, for the pickup line of, I'm the only man for you? No. I suppose it depends on what the guy looked like when he said it. I would like, like if Brad Pitt walked up to you and said, <laughs> "Okay, just pick your favorite handsome actor." <laughs> we don't need. We don't need to know who it is. Okay. It's Elvis. Elvis Elvis Presley. <laughs> okay, good for you, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but she, free cheekbones? Free cheekbones? No, free cheekbones. Its face was still cartilaginous. That's what I loved it. Anyway. Anyways. Okay. To the praise of the glory of his grace, God, listen, you got to get a hold of this. Because when you begin to understand this, honestly, this changes everything. I mean, it really does. When this, this idea takes root in your heart, all of scripture all of a sudden just, just flips. And you begin to find scripture like, okay, how many of you have since two weeks ago, have found a bunch of other scriptures that talk about predestination and you never saw them before. Yeah, right? Now you're going, crap, it is everywhere in the Bible. What am I supposed to do with this, right? And it's the same thing with this. God's esteem, God's love for his own glory, God's love for himself is going to be everywhere all over scripture. And you can either say, that arrogant jerk of a God, why would I want to serve him? Or you can understand the truth. And that is the reason that he loves himself more than anything else is because he's the most worthy to be loved. And the reason he commands us to love him more than anything else is because that is the kindest, most loving command he could ever give us. Right. And you go, yes, you are. Yeah, like, I mean, that's what you would do, right? Oh, I'm only a God for you, right? And you would just be like, you'd be like, you'd be like, yes, I am. Where's the ring? Let's do this. Right. Right. But some some jerk you know nothing about that doesn't even you know. It just walks up to you and says that to you. You know, I'm the only guy for you. You'd be like, excuse me. No, you're not. What? <laughs> well, okay. My, um, I'm going to tell, tell you something secret that I'm sure my mother would never want me to tell you. She was engaged four different times. Obviously, the last one was to my dad. <laughs> three times before that she had said yes to a man who said will you marry me 
three to three. And what she has told me about that was, what do you say to a young man of God who walks up to you and says, God told me we're getting married? She said, I didn't have, I didn't know enough of myself to be able to say to him, no, he didn't. You know, she just wasn't, she didn't have that kind of confidence. And so she would go, okay. Now, the first two times that she was engaged lasted like no time at all. Like, we want to get married. Yes, there wasn't even a ring or whatever. And there was one time they actually got pretty close to the wedding and then she kind of said, Well, all of my dad's friends were telling him not to date her because she was a heartbreaker. <laughs> Obviously, she was only a heartbreaker to guys that didn't deserve her. <laughs> we, talked, we talked about esteem last year, right? Like self-esteem and... I'm sure we did, yeah. <sighs> only because somebody said something. You said you said something about esteem. It sounded like you said something about esteem in your last. That's the only thing I focused on. I heard esteem, and then my mind went. Um, right. I said he has the uh, esteem for his own work. Right. Didn't we talk last year though about esteem? Like the only person worthy of any esteem, like is God, like yeah. we're not even worthy of self-esteem because because we're horrible human beings. That's not how, it's not how, yes, but that's not how I would express it. <laughs> you, you need to have an understanding of your worth in the light of the worth of God and in the light of how he thinks about you and how he feels about you. And you need to have God's esteem of you not your own esteem of you. You should not be worshiping yourself. But because God esteems you highly, and because you agree with his opinion about everything, then you will esteem yourself highly because you have great worth to him. Do you see the difference? Self-esteem is based on nothing. Self-esteem says, I'm worth, I deserve to be happy. No, you don't. You don't. You deserve hell. That's what you deserve. Okay, that's, that's what you deserve. But God came along and said, I'm choosing to love you, even though you don't deserve my love. And I'm choosing to save you, even though you really don't deserve my salvation. And I am setting my love upon you, not based on what you've done or any intrinsic worth that you have in yourself, but based upon my own worth, I choose and save you. The way God, the most powerful, highest way that God glorifies himself is by saving us. Yeah. Okay, so you said in one of the commands where the first command is love the Lord your God with all your heart. You said mm -hmm. it's one of the kindest commands that God can ever give us. Like, it is. Can you explain that? Absolutely. Uh, did your parents tell you to eat your vegetables? No. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, no. My parents always told me to eat my vegetables. That is not a command from my parents that I appreciated. It is not a command from my parents that I wanted to follow. But it was an incredibly kind command. Why? Why was it kind of them to tell me to eat my vegetables? Right. 
it would make wow. me healthy. E eating vegetables promotes my own, uh, you know, health. It, it makes me better. My well-being is promoted by eating my vegetables. God says, worship me. Let me be your only God. Because that is the best thing that he could tell us to do. Whether we want to love him or not, loving him is good for us. Whether we want to worship him or not, worshiping him is good for us. And that's why it's kind. That's why it's gracious. When God says to us, don't have sex outside of marriage, okay? Most teenage guys would say, not a kind command. That's what they would say. But on the other side, when we see what, ex, what sex outside of marriage, the damage it does and the things that it steals and the things that it robs from the marriage union that's supposed to take place later, the things that you give away that you'll never get back when you have sex with someone outside of marriage, inside of marriage you realize, wow, that was a kind command and I didn't understand it, but I do now. It's the same thing when God says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. The kindest thing that he could command us to do, because it is by far the most enjoyable thing we could ever do, the most satisfying thing we could ever do, and the best for us both now and for eternity. Does that make sense to you? So when I say God esteems his own worth above all things, and that is the kindest thing he could do, that's what I'm talking about. God upholding his own worth of higher than anything else is the kindest, most loving thing that God can do. And he, this is what's amazing, God saved you because he loves you. He saved you because he wanted to do good things for you. And above all of that, he saved you to glorify himself. And the truth is that that's the best news of all those things that I just said. God, use, God saving you to glorify himself is better news than God saved you to keep you from eternal torment. God saved you to glorify himself is better news than God saved you because he wanted to do good things for you. So you being saved by God, you saying yes to him, is not just good for you, it's good for the universe. Because God's going to glorify himself through you by saving you. Because at the end of the game, God is glorified and that is the best. Makes sense to everybody. But God's beginning and end, all of his decisions begin and end with upholding the worth of his own glory. 
including the decision to save us or to allow us to be judged. Because the Bible also says that God glorifies his judgment of sin when people go to hell. The beautiful thing, and Jared and I were talking about this yesterday, is that in those that do, that are lost and they go to hell, God is glorified because he has shown that he has pronounced correct, just judgment on sin. That's, the, that's he's glorified for that. But when we are saved, he is glorified for that because he is, he has already pronounced just judgment on sin in you in that Jesus took the judgment you deserved on himself. So his justice is still upheld. He gets just as much glorification for justice with Jesus, with his punishment of Christ as he does with his punishment of you. Okay, you deserve to be punished. Jesus stepped in, was punished for you. And so God is justified for punishing sin. Okay, but on top of that, he gets the glory of being the one who saves sinners. Yes, he gets more glory from those that he saves than he does from those that he judges. Which is just another reason why God does not willing that any should perish. But still some will. Yes. So why wouldn't you choose to make an option? Right. He's more glorified in your salvation than he is in your judgment. Right. Oh, we don't have any reasons not to choose salvation. We don't have any reasons not to say yes to the free gift of God. There is no reason not to say yes. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, like that's just even pushing the point of choosing salvation. Right. Anyhow, because if you look at the choices, like, down to the nitty-gritty of it, God's like, I'm glorified either way. I want you to do this, but I'm still glorified to do this. And that's still the most important thing. Any questions? Anybody? Any questions at all? You guys are just too quiet. No, that's totally okay. You're allowed to process. That's totally fine. I'm fine with that. Because the truth is, I'm still processing this. <laughs> and I, yeah. God made us to glorify himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is, I don't know. I kind of struggle with this. But, like, what was the point of creating us in the same place when he could just glorify himself? What was the point of creating us if he could just glorify himself? We are how he chose to glorify himself. The beautiful thing about that is that he gets glory and you get to exist. So that's pretty great. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, he could have just glorified himself, but uh, in in creating you, not only did he create you to glorify himself by creating you, but he also created you to glorify himself by you enjoying his glory. No. No, God is not lonely. He was never lonely. And I, I know that people preach that. It is so not true. First of all, God the Father, God the Son. No, there, there really are pastors that preach that. Yes. God wanted, God was lonely. He wanted to have a relationship with someone, so he created mankind. That's bullcrap. God wasn't lonely. God was perfectly happy. He has no need for you. None. But he chose to create you so you could enjoy him too. I know, right? It's just what I'm saying. I know that uh, that that it, it sounds really kind of it sounds really arrogant. If it was anybody but God, it would be, because He's infinitely enjoyable. That's real. He's infinitely enjoyable. So, and He's been enjoying the fellowship of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have been enjoying each other since before the foundations of the world. Infinite past, they Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been enjoying one another. You ever thought about that? Yeah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this dance of joy over the glory of one another forever. And then they said, they said, let's make somebody who can enjoy us and we can enjoy them also. What does it, I mean, come on, think about why do married couples have kids? <laughs> to mow the lawn, right? That's why they have kids, obviously. And remember that family is create. God designed family, okay? And He designed it for a purpose. And it wasn't just the good. It wasn't just that you know. So that's how we're going to make more little people. Because He could have done that anyway. He could have done the whole like fish thing where the lady like puts her eggs down and the guy comes by and fertilizes them and then we never see each other again. He could have done that. That's what happens in the ocean. Okay? That's <laughs> is that a little too graphic for you. <laughs> okay? But think about that for a minute. He could have done it that way. Why did he create this institution we call family? And the Bible tells us why. He created marriage to show us his relation, God's relationship with mankind, Christ in the church. That's why marriage exists. Okay, so why does family exist? For the same reason, he's showing us something. Right. And the Lord wasn't lonely, but he wanted the joy that he had in himself, in Father and Son and Holy Spirit, to overflow into another who carried his image so that he could enjoy us and we could enjoy him. Yeah. 
Isn't that exciting? So you were created. You were created so that you could enjoy God and he could enjoy you. That's why you are breathing air right now. Isn't that great? <laughs> that, that's so great. To me, I'm like, this is why I exist. I exist to enjoy the glory of God forever and for God to enjoy me forever. That's why I exist. Yeah. Yeah, it's an aw shucks moment, right? Yeah. Aw shucks. What? You God created me so that he could enjoy me forever and so I could enjoy him forever. That's why I exist. And do you know that salvation Salvation is all about bringing you back to the place where you can enjoy God forever and he can enjoy you forever. Because sin came in and, and separated us from him. Satan hated the joy that God had in mankind and the joy that mankind had in God and because Satan had made a choice to only enjoy himself that he, Satan made this choice that he was only going to enjoy himself and and only worship himself, and so he got separated from God for that. He just got kicked out of heaven for that because that's not what this is all about. This is about relationship, Lucifer, and you don't get to do this on your own. So he got kicked out of heaven forever. Okay, It was rebellion. I'm only going to enjoy me. Fine, well, then, then you can go do that someplace else, and that other place is called hell. That's really what hell is, by the way. Hell is just us receiving ourselves forever and only ourselves. Yeah. What, okay, this is kind of off topic, but how did he get demons down there then? Like, I don't understand. He convinced them. Like, was there, were there other angels that were in heaven? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, really? So they were other angels in heaven that went with Satan? Well, that's what, that's, yeah, there are fallen angels that went with Satan, yes. There's a whole lot of different theories about what, what, whether or not all of the evil spirits were actually angels or not. And we don't honestly know. But, it doesn't say that explicitly in scripture. There are little hints and, and nudges that make you, that make us think. Well, I don't. I can look it up. I can I can go look up the the scriptures that we're talking about. There's a couple different scriptures in that where there where God is prophesying through Ezekiel. Okay, one of them is in Ezekiel, and he's prophesying about this earthly king, this human king. And some point in the middle of the prophecy, things just switch in tone, and all of a sudden it sounds like he's talking about something, someone completely different. Because the, and, and, and that's where it says that I, you have said to yourself, O star of the morning, that you will rise to the, to, and, and sit on the throne of God and that you will. And then it starts talking about how his vestments are full of jewels and how he has, how he has instruments that exist as part of his body. Obviously, we're not talking about a human king anymore. So who the heck are we talking about? 
We're talking about the demon that was behind the king. And he's inciting him to do. So God was looking at that human king, but then he was looking beyond him to the one that was inspiring his foolish action and saying, I know who you are. And he was giving us a clue as to who our enemy actually is. But does it say explicitly, you, Satan? No, it doesn't say that. There's no like, this is what the devil, this is who the devil is and where he came from. Da, 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 da. It's not there. Yes. Uh, apparently, he will be possessing the Antichrist at some point in the future. But as far as we know, he has not done that yet. Uh, we'll get there at some point, I have no doubt. How did his name transfer from Lucifer to Satan, like, real fast? Lucifer is still his name. Okay, but then, like, doesn't Paul talk about, like, Satan, like... Yeah, like says, Satan oh, is just another name for him. Was it just like a nickname that they say? Like, well, say Satan like, is almost his title, and Lucifer is his name. So it's like Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Is it true that like Lucifer means like intelligent slash smart one? Lucifer means light bearer. I thought it meant like intelligence. It means light bearer. Light bearer. Well, I mean, that would make sense. Lightbearer has kind of this connotation of, of a carrier of knowledge or, or you know. Um, like how he was talking earlier about how a lot of the Hebrew language is like. It's pictorial. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're going to take like this idea and like write it down and put it on the back burner. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the reason they think he was the the angel over music is because this in there's there's two or three of those prophecies where it's where it's addressed to a specific human being, but then all of a sudden it kind of flips tone and sounds like it's addressing someone else. Okay, there's two or place, there's two or three places in Scripture where that happens, where God's talking about something and it's obvious that okay, He's not talking about a human being anymore. There's something else going on there, and there are little things in there. One of them is it describes Him as having music as a part of his being, like pipes and musical instruments that exude from his body, like he has, like, and so people, and it also calls him an anointed cherub or a covering uh, angel. And so uh, the, that's where people have gotten the idea that he was like the worship leader of heaven. But it, but it could be total misinterpretation. It could not mean that at all. <laughs> And we don't. We honestly don't know. That's why I I won't talk dogmatically about that. Like, if you don't believe this, you're not saved because there's so many you could interpret it twelve hundred ways. But that's what the way most Bible scholars interpret it. I cannot wait to get to heaven and like God be like, you were wrong about this. This is actually what this means. Like, everything, everything, every preacher has ever said about God was wrong a little bit. That's just the truth. It's truth because God's infinite and no human language can express infinity. It's not possible. Well, 
when you say God is good, that little four-letter word good is not big enough to explain the goodness of God. Our, our understanding of good is just the whiff of the cookies that God's making called goodness, okay? And then when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we get to eat the whole cookie and be like, what we thought was good, that was nothing. This is what good means, okay? But right now, right now, then we'll we'll have full 3D sensory experience of, you know, now, like I, I had this one preacher one time was talking about heaven and he said, he said, we'll have full, full stereophonic experience of God. For instance, what does grace smell like? And I was like, Ooh. he goes, what color is mercy? I was like, that's awesome. Like, he's certainly like, he's, he, he's like, and, and those are just like silly little ways to give us a view that the dimensions of the things that we have these little words for, these nice little words for, they're so much bigger than these little words that we have, these little concepts that we have. I feel like that's why like when John like explains in, in Revelation, it's not definitive. Like the picture well, that he has, it's like right because it's constantly changing. we have multiple pictures of the throne room throughout scripture. One of my favorite ones, Ezekiel, after his first vision of God with the wheels within wheels, and he sounds like a crazy person. There was animals, and there was faces, and there was fire and stuff, and there was a guy, and then there's wheels within wheels. It <laughs> sounds like a crazy person. And that's because he just saw something that's completely unexplainable. There's just no way for him to express what he just experienced. And the Bible says that after his first vision, he sat on the shore of the river for eight days, just kind of going. Because God just fried all his circuits, you know. God just came in and was just like, ha And he was like, ah! For eight days, he's just, you know. Wheels, uh, uh, uh. four faces, uh, wings. Uh, uh. All right, we need to be done because we're late.